Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. All right, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word today, um, that we can study your word and we can, um, we can with confidence, um, believe and confess that um, this, these are your words um, that you have spoken to us, that they are authoritative, they are sufficient, they are inerrant, infallible, and, and Lord, we just will submit ourselves to, to it this morning, um, and we thank you for that. Praise the things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. It's been standing for a while. Hey, we, we do acknowledge this morning that um, there is a lot of heaviness just going on. And so we hear Jesus talk about being pure in heart, and maybe the, maybe the first thing that you think of is, well, I've got a lot of heaviness of heart. Like, I've, what do I do with that? What do I do with the heaviness that I'm feeling? Um, and, and here's the deal. Um, we're, you're in a good place. You're in, a, you're in the right place, and I believe that the Lord will meet you here in his word. Um, ideally and hopefully and faithfully, what the church should be doing and be about is that if you are aware of someone around you who is hurting or burdened or broken, that you would, that you would encourage them, that you would, that you would pray for them. So maybe today, um, we'll, not maybe today, I can tell you for sure, today you have an opportunity to encourage someone, to pray with someone, to pray for someone, um, and just to, just to do what the body of Christ does, encouraging one another, praying for one another, and all those things. And so we just wanna acknowledge that there's a lot of heaviness in this room, there's a lot of heaviness in this world right now, um, and we think that the best place that we can be right now is just in his word. And so that's where we're gonna spend the next little bit. So uh, today we're, we're focusing in on Matthew chapter five, verse eight, that says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, this is the most important of all the Beatitudes. <laughs> if you've been here, you know that I say that every week. Um, this is, this is a, a major point in the Beatitudes. It kind of feels a little bit out of place. If, you, if, you, you know, if you've read, read the Beatitudes, you, you kind of think, man, this kind of feels like it should be somewhere different. But I think what we're going to see today is that it obviously is right where it needs to be. Because I think in a very real way, with this verse, with what Jesus says here, Jesus is setting the stage for, for much of what he will teach in the next big section of his sermon, um, later on in chapter five. 
Um, I, I love what Jesus may be doing here because it's, it's actually good preaching technique. Um, it's like, okay, it's the greatest sermon ever preached, uh, but also within the sermon, there's actually good technique. He's telling you what the point is, and then he's gonna tell you what he just told you, right? Um, and, and I feel like that's a little bit of what he's setting up here in Matthew 5, 8, um, because he gives his main point here in 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then, Literally just verses later, as we're going to see in several weeks, um, and remember, it didn't take Jesus several weeks to preach this, um, but, but we are taking several weeks to preach what Jesus preached. Literally just verses later, he addresses things like lust and anger, which deal directly with a purity, a pureness of heart. Um, he says, hey, you've heard it said this, but I say to you this, and he really addresses the heart. And so before he gets to those very important topics, he, he really just sets the stage and he includes this and what he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Now, as we've established, if you've been with us, as we've, as we've worked to really establish is that Jesus is saying that these are the characters in these Beatitudes, these are the characteristics, these are the components that make up a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That if you want to know what a kingdom citizen looks like, um, we don't know what he looks like based on his political affiliation or his stance on these certain things. No, Jesus says, these are the marks of a kingdom citizen. This is who a kingdom dweller looks like. This is what they look like. And so what Jesus is saying here is that in his kingdom, that those who will experience the highest level and the highest form of satisfaction and, and flourishing and, and the highest level of his blessing on us is those who are pure in their heart, those who are pure in heart. That's the place where we experience God's deepest highest level of blessing that he could give to us. And notice, man, it doesn't have anything to do with financial blessing. It doesn't have anything to do with prosperity or anything like that. It has to do with who we are as kingdom citizens. And so now we've, we've got to understand, here's, here's the deal. If you've, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we took a really, we took two whole weeks to address one verse. Uh, blessed are the merciful. We, 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 got, we, we just got done. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. We took two weeks on that. Um, today, we're really, we just, the time that we have today and over the next few weeks, it's really just going to allow us to just barely even get into what Jesus is talking about here. But what we have to understand, what I think is important to understand is the way that this must have and would have fallen on the ears of those listening. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We've got to understand what this would have meant in the way that it would have been received by those in the crowd. Now, we've addressed, we, we don't know exactly who all's in the crowd. We know that uh, there are crowds, and we know that the crowds consist of disciples. They consist of, they probably consist of a lot of different people. Um, and, and I don't know who all those people are, but I'm just going to venture to say that when Jesus said pure in heart, there would have been people who understood this idea of purity. There would have been people that understood this idea of what it is to be pure in heart and not just pure on the outside. And so we've got to understand this, that when it came to purification, when it came to purity, and when it came to cleanliness, the Jewish people were masters of this. They were, they were people who, man, they heard purification and they were like, we've got a system for that. We've got, 
They, they, they knew what purity meant, and guess what? They were really serious about it. They were really serious about it, and they were serious about it. I'm gonna, I, I'm, I believe they were serious about it because I believe they really desired to honor God. A lot of times, the, the, we, we, we give the Jews and the Pharisees a hard time. It's really easy to do that, and by the way, Jesus does that himself. Uh, but in reality, I, I believe that they were a dedicated and obedient people. Like they, they did. They did desire the, the favor of God. They did desire the presence of God. And so they, they knew what these forms of purification were. They knew how to purify themselves. They knew what it meant for other people to be pure on their behalf so that they could be in the presence of God. In fact, God in the Old Testament, what does he do? He establishes these, these moral, he establishes these moral ceremonial ethical laws for his people to follow. And guess what? They followed them. They followed them really well. They followed them to AT. They followed them almost too well. And we, we see that, that they, they even added upon the word of God. They added to the law that God had given them in a way to say, listen, God, we know what you say, but we're even gonna go a step further. And they began to put burdens on people that God never asked them to put burdens on them for. They began to, to burden people with, with more laws and more ways of cleaning and purifying themselves that, that God didn't intend for his people to be burdened with. And so... An important thing to remember about these laws is that these laws that is, is that it was these laws that we're speaking of, these moral, ethical, ceremonial laws that we read of in the New Testament. Let's let's remember something, or at least be made aware of something very important. It's these laws that Jesus will very soon say that he came not to abolish, but to fulfill. I mean, in just a few short verses. Jesus makes very clear, I did not come to abolish those laws, but to fulfill them. There's not a single bit of these laws that he came to abolish, and it was the whole law that he came to fulfill, and he did fulfill them. And so Jesus out of the gate, we got to see in this verse that out of the gate, Jesus is, relates with them with common and familiar language of being pure, being pure. So a side note. Just as, just as we did with mercy, like I mentioned with mercy a minute ago, just as we did with mercy, man, there is a whole sermon, there's a whole couple weeks worth of sermons to be preached on the purity of God, like the, the perfection and the holiness of God. Just like we do with mercy. We, like, we, 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 ha- we cannot just start with being merciful to one another. We've gotta start with understanding who God is as a merciful God before we have any hope of extending mercy to others. The same thing's true when it comes to purity and holiness, that there's a whole bunch of sermons to be preached on the holiness and the purity and the perfection of God. There is this fundamental understanding of God's purity that will enable us to see the depth and the darkness of our own sin. And we're gonna get to that sermon, but not today. And so Jesus then goes on, so just read here in 5.8. I know it's like, well, it's just a sentence. I've already memorized it. Let's read it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So we've talked about this blessedness in weeks past. We've talked a little bit today about this purity that God is, that Jesus is discussing. But Jesus expounds upon that and clarifies what he's saying by not just pure, but those who are pure in heart. So he clarifies what he means by purity, that we would be pure in heart. And so something that we must know is that Jesus here is not teaching something that's brand new. 
I think that's an important thing to, to understand. He's not, he's not saying that in the Old Testament, it wasn't about purity in heart, and now it is. Um, that was something that actually kind of confused me like years ago that, that I came to learn when I began being more involved and entrenched in the scriptures that like it wasn't about all the, 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 the rituals and the ceremonies in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, all of a sudden God comes in and is like, oh yeah, let me kind of throw you a curveball. It's about your heart. No, Jesus isn't teaching anything brand new. And what he's also not doing is contradicting what the father had established already with his, with his people. And so here's what I mean by this, that if you study the book, the, the book right here, this book, from cover to cover, it has always been the heart that God is after. It's always been that. And so this is really important for us to understand, okay? So like, I, know I'm, I know I'm just kind of like nailing down on this, but as God laid out the laws for his people, man, it was, it was never the laws were an end of themselves. The laws were always meant to go after the heart of God's people. So Jesus isn't teaching anything new here. When we hear and we see the word heart here, what is really meant to be communicated to us is that this is the way that some people would frame it. Some people don't like it, but I, I think it's an easy way to, to understand. What he's not talking about is your physical heart. When he talks about the heart, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the, basically the seat of the will, the, 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 the center of, of, of a person, the center, the central place of a person where things flow from where words, where thoughts, where decisions flow from. And so it's, 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 this, it's this place in our lives that refers to the, the, the center of our being. And so what Jesus is saying is that the center of your being, what flows from your heart, which we see in other parts of scripture, what flows from your heart is really what I'm after. In fact, we see in Amos chapter 5, like we, to just to kind of further understand this idea that it's always been about the heart, we see in Amos chapter five, particularly in verse 21, we won't read that, but you can go there if you want. We see in Amos chapter five, God rebuking his people. He rebukes his people in direct response to their religious ceremony, to their behaviors, to their actions. And, and <laughs> these are all things that God has commanded them to do. And yet God in Amos chapter five looks and says, I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that. I don't want your ceremonies. I don't want your, I don't want just your external obedience. They made, these people in Amos 5, they made all the right sacrifices. They cleansed themselves in all the right ways externally, yet God rejects it. He says, I don't want to have anything to do with that because it doesn't flow from a heart that is pure. It flows from this external activity. Hey, we see in Psalm 51, which if you've been around long, you know that this is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. Psalm chapter 51, you're like, well, that's weird. David's miserable. Yeah, something connects, right? Like something connects with me about David's misery here. David says in Psalm 51, for you will not delight in sacrifice. He says this, he's, he's repenting, he's confessing his sins to God. He says to God, you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Hey, again, all these things, things God has God called his people to do. David says, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. And then catch what David says here. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, 
O God, you will not despise. That's Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. David is essentially saying this, I I think. Y'all can correct me if I'm wrong. David is essentially saying, if if my being cleared and accepted before, before you takes rituals and disciplines and sacrifices and ceremonies, just tell me to jump and I'll, I'll say how high. Like, the, the, you, you see that he says that. You will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. If, if that's what clears me before you, tell me to jump and I'll say how high. But David realizes, no, what God's about even here in the Old Testament is not our ceremonies, our sacrifices, our rituals, but what comes from our heart. And so God, then, then that's what David acknowledges. No, God, you want my heart. That's what you're after. That's what you're after. So through all of the laws and all of the purification that God did require and that required obedience from his people, through all of that, we have to understand when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, Through all of those, it was always the heart of his people that he was after. He wanted complete, unmixed devotion from them. He wanted complete and unmixed devotion. But the Pharisees and the Jewish people had gotten so far away from it that these rites of purification, these ceremonies, these sacrifices, again, became an end in and of themselves rather than a means that led them into the real presence of God and into a relationship with him. So Jesus defines, catch, you have to catch this, Jesus defines citizenship in his kingdom. He defines what life looks like in his kingdom and defines what flourishing within that kingdom looks like in a way that is unapologetically based upon a heart that is unmixed in its commitment to Jesus. Did you catch that? That's what life in this kingdom looks like. And all of us in this place are like, that's not me. And hey, we're all together here. We're all together here. We're all together in the fact that we have so many affections and devotions that, that oftentimes draw us away from real life flourishing in Jesus. We all have things in our lives. We all have places. Like, like when, you hear, when you hear the word idolatry, what do you think of? Do you think, yeah, that's an that's a old school, Old Testament problem that they had. But you know that, you know that an idol can be any, any good thing that we turn as ultimate, that we make ultimate. An idol is, is anything. Hey, an idol can be comfort. An idol can be... That, that extra hour of sleep that, we, that we've lost over the last week, that's kind of convicting for me. An idol can be success. An idol can be living in such a way through your, vicariously through your children that you know, rather than teaching them the ways of the Lord, you would rather just see them succeed in sports or whatever. I don't know what, what that is. Success, <clears throat> pleasure, whatever that looks like. And Jesus, again, is reminding us that Life within the kingdom, flourishing life, real life, is a life that is devoted to Jesus and an, that has not been mixed, pure. That's what, that's what this, this idea of pure means that Jesus is talking about in the original language, that it's, that it's something that is unmixed with, with other things. And so this is what Jesus means by pure in heart. Now, Here's where, here's where too many times I'm tempted to focus in so much on this first part, blessed are their pure in heart. 
uh, that I just skim over the promise that Jesus gives. Like, hopefully we understand the weight and we feel the, the amazing promise that Jesus gives that for those who are pure in heart, they will see God. Can I just tell you, like, that's the ultimate thing we're after here, like, is to see God. Um, no, Christianity is not all about heaven, but like at the same time, like kind of is. I mean, we get, to, we get to, to be with God. We get to see God. And so I, I skim over this because I, I just fail to, to realize the weight and the, and the blessing and the grace that Jesus gives to those who follow him with a pure heart. But this promise Jesus gives would have been just as profound and even confounding to these people that would have been listening. Here's here's what I mean by that. The idea of seeing God, the idea of seeing God, imagine what, imagine just everything you've read in the Bible up to this point. This idea of seeing God in a lot of their minds was not even on the table. Now, it wasn't in, in, in their mind. Think about Moses. Look, look back to Moses. Moses had a desire to see God, didn't he? And, and God said, no, you can't see me, you'll, you'll die. And so Moses kind of comes back to God, you know, the audacity comes back to God, says, God, I wanna see you. And so God, God places Moses in the cleft of the rock and he passed by, kind of just passed by the place only for Moses to catch a glimpse of him passing by because Moses would have just dropped dead because of his glory if he would have seen him with his eyes. Even, even throughout the Old Testament, the purification of the, of the high priest, the purification of the people, the, the purification they sought was, was really, and, and maybe I'm not understanding this fully, but I'm just gonna say it the way that I understand it and the way that I've studied and, and, and seen in the scriptures that seems to come across. Even the purification that they sought was only to enter into the presence of God. They, they would enter into the, to the presence of God and, and in order to, and seeing God really just had no category. Like, they just wanted to be in his presence. The, the, the fact that they could see him, the fact that Jesus is promising to these people that if you're pure in heart, you will see God would have been mind-blowing. They would have had a category for it because they're just like, even our best obedience and our best purification gets us into his presence. But for us to be able to, to see him, but Jesus here absolutely promises that those who are pure in heart will see God, just for literal reading. They will see the face of God. They will see God. Now, this is an unbelievable promise, and this promise is one of those that I believe have both immediate and ultimate implications. This is, a, this is an immediate and eternal implication promise here. So the word that Jesus uses for see here is not just a, 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 um, not just a sight that indicates merely observing something with the eyes, just an observation. Like you look, you look outside and you see the cars passing by. It's kind of like, the, the word kind of distinguishes between the word know um, in the Bible several times. It's kind of a little bit of a, of a, of a rabbit trail here. But when you, when you hear the word know, um, man, I, I'm trying to think, like I know Michael Jordan. Sorry to use a sports term here. I know the president of the United States. But do I actually know him? There's, there's, a, there's a distinction in the ways that we use these words. Um, God is constantly calling us into a relationship where we would deeply know him, 
where we would deeply, I know all these facts about these sports stars, and, and, and like if you really just peeled it back enough, like really I'm nothing more than just a really good stalker. Like I just know, like why do you know all this stuff about me? So a lot of us are actually just good stalkers of God. We don't actually know God. We know all this information about God, but we don't know him. And I believe what this seeing here that Jesus is talking about is the kind of sight that we're not just observing God or just seeing God, but it goes much deeper. It's not to be understood as, like I said, with a different example, it's not to be understood as the mountains merely being in view, that you drive by the mountains. Those of you in Oklahoma have no idea what this means, right? Um, it's, It's not to be understood merely as the mountains being in view, but rather your view of the mountains creating in you that deep and transcendent feeling that is capable of leading you to a kind of response to worship God, that you see the mountains and what you see is what? A creator. You see God. Something within you moves, it shifts, it shakes. And I believe that, that the kind of seeing that Jesus is talking about here is that if those who are pure in heart will see who God is, they will, they will tap into, almost tap into, they will tap into a knowing of God that absolutely shifts everything around in us. And it's only those who are pure in heart who will experience God in this kind of way. That if you have a, a, a heart that is mixed with devotion, that is mixed with commitment, hey, I, like I know what this looks like because I'm, man, this is convicting for me. This is a hard message to preach because it cannot in any way come across my prayers that it in no way comes across self-righteous or in no way comes across in a, in a way that I'm pure in heart and you're not. So you need to listen up, bub. It's not anything like that. But I know what this is like to live with, an, with a mixed devotion to God that he, he occupies this space on Sunday mornings at 1015, but he doesn't occupy the space Monday through Friday. Monday through Saturday, really. Saturday is just, an, is just kind of everybody relaxes, right? But Monday through Saturday, that this is the space. And, and let me just, let me challenge us with something. That if that's the space you find yourself in, I don't think that, I don't think, I, I hate to use the word achieving, but we're not getting at what God is after here. That, that we would follow Jesus with a complete, utter devotion and he says, when you are pure in heart, when you are following me with an unmixed devotion, you will see God. God says it like this to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 33. Let's go to Jeremiah 33. This is how, this is how um, God speaks to, to Jeremiah. And there's a lot of context here that's needed, but it's, a, but it's a, a really good support of what we're talking about here. So Jeremiah 33, verses one through three. We're gonna specifically focus on verse three. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Verse three. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. 
hey, what God is after here, what God is always after, because since God is unchanging, what God is after here is Jeremiah's heart, is his people's heart. And God promises them that if you look and you call after me with a pure heart, remember, like, there's no, there's no instance where, where God's like, in this situation, it can be done without a pure heart. God, every time he calls out to his people, every time he speaks to his people, he's calling out that they would be fully devoted and unmixed commitment to him. And so in Jeremiah, he's calling out, he says, hey, call out to me, cry out to me. And then he, and then he says, I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Now, again, like I said, this has an important context in Jeremiah 33, like within the, within the history of the people of God. It's said, it is said specifically to Jeremiah. Again, this is, one of those, uh, this is one of those things that we often joke about. This is one of those verses that you've probably got on a coffee mug or like above, above your fireplace at home. And so it has important context. But I do believe that God's call here is a principle and idea that isn't untrue outside of this context. It's not untrue outside of John. That if you, people of Grace Harbor, will call out to God with a pure heart, what he will do is he will show you great and mighty things about who he is. And you will see him, just as Jesus promises, that if you will come to the Lord in surrender and in devotion and say, you know what, these other things that I've been chasing, the comfort on the weekends that I've been chasing, the, the, the sin that I've been indulging in and in, in private, those, those things that I have an unmixed devotion to you, that if you will turn from those, those ways and you will come to the Lord and say, Lord, I just desire to follow you with an unmixed commitment and unmixed devotion, then the promise of Jesus is for us right now that you will see God and that you will experience him in a deep, real, satisfying way. And I, I believe that Jesus is saying that when our hearts are aligned with his and are, and are marked by an unmixed commitment to him, that we will see and we will experience and we will sense the presence of God and we'll see him for who he really is in a way that we will not and cannot with a heart that is divided in its commitment. I believe that's what Jesus is just trying to tell us here. Now, this is, that's kind of the immediate, that, hey, right now, you can know God. Did you, do you agree with that? Do you agree that right now you can know God? In fact, I believe, one of the, I believe the main way to know God, Paul says in 2 Timothy that all Scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. It's sufficient for anything that you're up against in life. So I believe that we can, we can know God deeply and intimately. Now, let me say this. We don't know God fully. There's a lot of things about God that we, we do not know and we cannot know and we will not know, which is why I really like the future eternal implication of this promise. Right now, we don't know God fully. But what Jesus said so far is that if you follow me with a pure, unmixed, undivided, committed heart, you will know things about God that will transform your life today. Man, what a promise. But there's, this also, there's also this very real and certain aspect of this promise that Jesus gives that relates to eternity. It's a future promise. That's a future promise, namely this, that those who will submit their lives and their hearts to Christ today and are fully committed to him, one day you will stand in the presence of God and you will see him face to face. 
you will look the holy God in his face and he will interact with you and he will welcome you in and you will worship him. And in that moment, in that moment, your heart will truly be undivided. Your heart will be truly unmixed and committed and undivided. Until that day, man, we wrestle, don't we? We struggle, we wrestle, we confess our sins, we, we repent, we, we forgive, we, we love one another, we're patient with one another, we encourage one another, all in the context of our brokenness. But one day, this promise that Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, that one day you will stand face to face with your Savior, with your God, and you will look at him in the face and you will not die. You will not die. You'll, you'll be more alive in that moment. And I wanna just close by reading 1 John chapter three. This is, this is one of those places that we could just spend a few weeks on. So go with me to 1 John chapter three, verses one through three. We're actually gonna start in verse 28 of chapter two because I think this this. This word that John uses, he actually uses in his gospel as well, abide in him. It shows back up in in 1 John. And I think it's kind of what Jesus is talking about with being pure in heart, unmixed in our devotion, that it would be an abiding in Christ. So let's read verse 28 through 3.3. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Amen. What an amazing passage. The... the, we have the promise of Jesus here in Matthew chapter five that those who are pure in heart will see God. And that's what John is reinforcing here. If you are his children, if you abide in him, we may not know him fully now, but one day we will see him as he is and we will look in his face and we will worship and we will bow to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and your promises. Thank you that all of your promises to us are good, they are dependable, they are worthy of being trusted. There's so many other things right now that, that are trying to make themselves worthy of our attention. They're, they're working so hard to, to validate themselves, so many ideas and, and, and things in our culture that are working really, really hard to validate themselves as truth, and they just can't. And so, Lord, Help us, not, help us to not buy into that. Help us to not buy into these lies. But help us, as, as John encourages us to do, to abide in you 
May we live lives of unmixed devotion. Lord, may we even see this week, may we commit ourselves even this week to, to Lord, we know that it's not the external things that you, that you are ultimately after, but Lord, you've called us to obedience and oftentimes that obedience is, is about disciplines that we, that we pursue. They're about waking up and spending time in prayer and spending time in your word. So Lord, may, may we begin to do that this week in a, in a, in a, way, of, in a way of seeking after a, a devoted life of following you. And Lord, we, we know ultimately that, that your son Jesus has lived a, a perfectly pure and holy life, um, a life that he lived on our behalf. He gave us his righteousness and took upon himself our unrighteousness. And so, Lord, may the gospel of Jesus, of his life and of his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his, and his interceding now even for us. May, may those things mark us and motivate us and, and, and ultimately just give us, give us peace and hope where we have nothing to add. And so, Lord, we, just, we do. We pray that the gospel of Jesus would not just be an idea, but would be something that fuels our lives, fuels us every single day day, through every decision, through every move that we make. We praise you, Lord. We thank you that you've now given to your church um, the, the command to, to take the Lord's Supper together, um, to come to the table and to remember Christ, to remember what Christ has done. Um, and it is, a, it is a grace from you for us to be able to to, to in front of other people, to publicly come empty-handed, say, I have nothing worthy of, being, of, of bringing to the table, but yet I, I walk away from the table filled. I walk away from the table reminded of what Christ has done for us. So Lord, help us to worship you in this moment from our hearts. Um, would, you just, would you do something in us even now um, that, that we would refuse to to worship you just with our, with our actions or with our words or our mouths. But Lord, that as we come to this table, Lord, we, we come with a, a real heart humility of what you have done for us. We praise you. Thank you for this church body. and pray that we would be strengthened this morning by what you have taught us in your word. We pray these things in your name. Amen.